Welcome to the Young and Sober podcast, the podcast where we discuss what it means to get sober under the age of 30 and stay sober. If you're sober, sober curious, or just curious, you've come to the right place. Any discussions heard here are personal to the individuals and should be not taken as the stance of AA as a whole. Welcome to episode 26. This week we'll be chatting to Charlie, who's come to talk to us about being young, sober, and the keys of the kingdom. Um, how are you doing, Charlie? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Good and, and great to have you on the podcast. Um, so we have you. We usually have a uh, weekly listener question. Um, so before we start, we've got a question from our listener Matt, um, who says, uh, "What's the hardest thing about recovery?" So pretty open question. Um, but Charlie, what was the the hardest thing about recovery for for you? Oh, Matt, you don't mess around. Um, the hardest thing about recovery, I think, was um, admitting to my innermost self that I was an alcoholic. Because it was almost like once, once I really, really accepted that, it's like the dam burst open and, and everything kind of just followed. But before that, there was just years and years and years of not accepting not seeing there's a problem then not accepting there's a problem and then even going to aa meetings but still thinking i'm not an alcoholic but i just relate to what everyone here says and it so there's there's so many like kind of hurdles that i had to get over or i suppose i wasn't getting over them they were kind of being smashed by by suffering until finally i there was i was beat down enough that i i, I kind of was able to say yeah i'm alcoholic and I feel like even, even sort of four or five months into recovery, I then realised that I then I really admitted I was uh, an alcoholic, and I'd I'd kind of had a surface level admittance admission, but then it got it got deeper and deeper. I think on some level at first I thought, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, but part of me was all, was sort of thinking, but I'm not really. Like I am now, but in ten years or fifteen years or whatever, I'll be all right. That was really, I think there's something in the book about the, the idea that we can drink again like normal people has to be smashed, something like that. And it, that was really, really hard. And I think anyone who comes into recovery has had to suffer an awful lot before they kind of make, get to that point of saying, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. Nice. Yeah, great. <laughs> what would you say the most difficult? Uh, I mean, that was obviously you talked about your experience sort of early days and admitting that. Like, what about now? Like, what would you say is the hardest thing about recovery for you? Um, I think there's it's sort of a, a moving target. Because whatever, whatever part of the program I stop doing, that becomes the hardest thing. Um, because then resistance builds up and I start thinking, oh yeah, I don't need to do that bit, actually. I'm all right without that, that part of it, you know. And so at the moment, that's probably kind of reaching out to other al al alcoholics outside of the meetings. So um, I think a really big part of my drinking was kind of, fear of other people and what they think of me will they like me you know and all the that talk in my head of 
probably think I'm boring. They don't want to sit next to me, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I was actually okay at not drinking when I was sort of at home on my own. But as soon as I had to go and interact with people, I just had to drink. And so that in recovery as well, that bit of that connection with people is the hardest piece because there's no alcohol to hide behind. Um, and, and unsurprisingly, that is also one of the bits that therefore helps me the most. And it's like the bit I'm finding the hardest is kind of where the gold is. It's like the dragon guarding the gold. And, and so when I do reach out, when I go for coffee after a meeting with people or um, just call, call someone random who I haven't heard from in a while, there can still be sometimes a real resistance to do it. I, I don't know what it is, but it's some, something, some voice like, they don't want to talk to you, they don't want to hear from you, you know. But then once I get in the rhythm of doing it, after a couple of days, it just, the fear goes, because I have to prove to myself again and again, like, oh yeah, it's fine, I'm fine. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, so Charlie, uh, tell us how long you've been sober now, and I guess a little bit about why you decided that was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I, so I've been sober just just under two and a half years. It'll be two and a half years in a week's time. Uh, maybe I shouldn't jinx it. So I've been sober for two years and five months and one or two weeks, three weeks. Not sure about the maths there. Um, so I'm... I'm 29 now, so I came in when I was 26. Um, and the reason I came in was, I suppose, twofold. I guess, first and foremost, I was just very lucky that, and I think this is partly why I came in relatively young, is that I was seeing a therapist just so far as I was aware for other issues like anxiety. Um, and I think it was just, you know, the grace of God or my higher power or whatever that he happened to be an alcoholic. And he just, he could see quite clearly what I couldn't see in myself, which was that I thought the drinking was kind of incidental to my problems. Whereas he was saw that it was, it was part of, it was very much at the root of the problems, or at least, yeah, he just saw that I was, I was an alcoholic. And I was also really lucky in that he kind of was compassionate about how he approached that with me. So rather than saying, well, man, you're an alcoholic, you've got big problems, you've got to get to an AA meeting because then all my defences would have gone up. And I said, no way, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm 26. I, I, I drink not that much more than some people I know and this, that and the other, I haven't lost this, haven't lost that. But he just said, um, he gave me the big book and said, look, just have a read through this. I'm not saying you're alcoholic, but just see if you identify with anything. So it was like a really, a really gentle kind of opening. So my, my defences weren't up enough such that I, I did. But it's funny because when he, he gave it to me in one of the sessions. He handed me the books. He had a copy, and they had this such a strange feeling because I was kind of terrified and relieved at the same time. Because even though I'd never, never once thought I'm an alcoholic, 
as soon as he said that, part of me was thinking, oh no, that would be sort of the worst thing ever. And the other part of me just knew, and it was just relieved to be like, actually, yeah, you know what, you know what the problem is. And this guy's handing you a book and that might have some answers in it. So that was kind of why I came in when I did, but the, the, the soil had to be fertile for that seed to, to sprout. And <laughs> if, if the metaphor works, the, the, the fertilization of the soil was uh, suffering. I just, just things were so, so bad. And drinking was, was becoming an increasingly big part of it. So for a long time, I just had, the way I saw it was I had really bad mental health, really, really bad anxiety, so fearful of everything, everyone. And um, drinking kind of helped me with that. And then as, as time went on, drinking, rather than being the solution, started to become part of the problem itself. Um, doing things I was ashamed of and just blacking out all the time. Um, and then also not, not even working, you know, being out with my mates, friends I've been with, guys I've been friends with for 15 years. And still I'd feel like, oh, I'm not quite in the group as much as them and they don't quite like me, but thinking it's fine because the alcohol is going to kick in soon. And then it just never kicked in. I just still was anxious, still felt alienated. And then I blacked out. So there was no, there was no grace period. There was no period where I had that ease and comfort. So the alcohol had stopped working. Um, and I, tr I tried everything else. I tried, I feel like I read every self-help book under the sun and I've, just you know, yoga, meditate, all good stuff, but but not not powerful enough for for me as an alcoholic. Um, you know, deep breathing, and obviously I, I was in therapy, been in therapy for a year or two, um, and things were just getting worse and worse. So AA was kind of the end of the line. It was the last resort. Well, my life's over now anyway, so I might as well do this thing. And um, yeah, so that's sort of how I came in. Lovely, yeah. Um, so today's topic is sort of about the keys of the kingdom, which is a story in the big book. So the big book, if you don't know, it consists of the solution is in the first 164 pages. And then after that, there's a bunch of stories which are meant to be are there, you know, for people like us to be able to like identify with uh, some of the people who, you know, um, had a bad time with alcohol, got into Alcoholics Anonymous and got well and have, you know, seen enormous amounts of value of being a member. Um, and The Keys of the Kingdom is a story which was written by a lady uh, based in Chicago and, uh, yeah, she hit her rock bottom when she was about 33 years old. And um, she uh, talks about in the second page, like between the ages of 25 and 30, she tried everything. And uh, she moved a thousand miles away from her home to a new environment. Uh, she says, I studied art. I desperately endeavored to create an interest in many things in a new place among new people. Um, what she, I think, is describing there is essentially what 
um, you would hear in a, in a meeting talking about the idea of geographicals. And um, I, I know that I can talk about my experience of that 100%. But um, Charlie, do you have sort of any experience around like, I don't know, moving country or place, you know, thinking that that might solve the problem? Um, not really, to be honest. I, I, I'm, the main time I sort of moved away was when I went to uni um, and my drinking got far worse, but I was, I had no idea I had a problem at that point. So there, there was no sort of notion of, oh, if I do that, it will help me stop. Um, so I didn't so much do a geographical and move away, but I, I very much did think that my answers were kind of were, you know, material. They're in in the material world. That being sort of, if I change my job, or if I'm in a different relationship, or if I was six inches taller, or I just, I was just always chasing outside things that I thought would be able to help me, and and every time it just it just came up short. And so I was kind of, and, and kind of like, as, as, it, as she said in her story, I, I tried everything and all those external things just, just didn't do, do anything. Um, she also talks about, she tried, she tried different ways of drinking. So she talked about her drinking habits. She tried the beer diet, the wine diet, timing, measuring, spacing drinks mixed, unmixed, drinking only when happy, only when depressed. And still by the time she was 30 years old, uh, she was being pushed around by a compulsion to drink that was completely beyond her control. Um, did you ever sort of try drinking in different ways? Anything like that? Um, from memory, the main, the main thing I'd do would, would be to swear off. So not so much trying to drink different things, but I just forget, because I, I first trying to stop drink, tried to stop drinking when I was 20. That's when I, when I first started saying, right, that's it, I'm never drinking again. And, um, you know, maybe I'd then not drink for a week and then I'd be drinking again. And, and some, I remember one time I did, uh, I think it was around three months. I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to not drink for a hundred days. And then I, I think that will, well, then I'll be fixed, basically. Um, and I managed to do it, and it, it wasn't pleasant. I wasn't happy. Um, I did keep myself out of trouble. But then when that 100 days was up, I thought, all right, great, I've done it. I'll start drinking again. Um, so it was just, it was back, and I'm, I just hundreds of times I, I said, I'm never drinking again. I really, really meant it. So rather than changing my drinks it was more it was it was kind of all or nothing right that's it i'm not drinking or okay i'm drinking whatever i can get my hands up because i give up all or nothing mm. <laughs> mm. um how did you feel like doing 100 days like without a drink did you go a bit nutty or um yeah i did i did feel very anxious i actually had a, a more kind of informative experience of 
of sobriety without recovery once once I'd started AA. So I I was going to meetings for a couple of months, but I was still drinking. I was trying to fight like come up with a way whereby I could justify myself going to meetings because I liked it and I felt kind of at home, but also not admit that I was an alcoholic so I could kind of ha have the best of both worlds. I eventually then did stop drinking when it, it got, you know, I had sort of a rock bottom. Um, and then I was in, I was, you know, going to meetings and I was starting to talk to people. Um, and then I went away for a month when I was about two months sober and you know in hindsight i could have kept on with recovery stuff i could have done some online meetings and maybe even just text people if i couldn't cool but i thought i thought it fair enough that i don't do any recovery for that month and it was it was just it was just insane and i'm glad it happened in hindsight because it taught me a lot about myself it taught me it showed me why I drank because I was no longer drinking, but I wasn't doing any, any recovery, any AA, I wasn't praying. And my head just went so, so crazy. Every, everything was unbearable. Everything, one of my, you know, my family said was just wrong or they're trying to get me or, you know, um, I was just, yeah, I was, I was just climbing up the walls and, it's hard to describe, but it's just like I couldn't escape from my head. And it was like my head was a, it was just relentless, just constant, unbearable thoughts. And I was attached to it and there was, there was, no, there was sort of no escape. And yeah, I look back now and think, wow, you know, I had to drink. That was the only way I knew, given what I knew at the time, drinking was the only way I could deal with that. yeah jack i was going to ask you mate uh, did you have any experience of well either the sort of geographicals um when it before you got into recovery um and also in terms of your like drinking habits did you ever kind of try and change them up to avoid the consequences yeah thanks Christian. i think um I did, it was, yeah, it was constantly just trying to change anything to see if that could help the problem, which like Charlie, I didn't really admit was drinking. I thought it was my head. So I thought, um, I kind of did some geographicals without realizing. So I went to Singapore for a couple of years and I think that was just to escape to, <laughs> escape um at responsibility effectively um and then when i came back I'm, i moved around london quite a lot um and yeah would actually funnily enough like charlie's story i i actually did six months before i came into aa sober without um drinking and then you know uh after that six months i was like well if i can if i cannot drink for six months then i must be i must be fine so then i ordered expensive rosé and it was the middle of summer and sat with my mate on the beach drinking uh, I think we got through three bottles of, of rosé on the first uh, first time I drank after after um 
after things opened up for, for lockdown and kind of went downhill there for, for two months. But looking back on that six months where I was sober without Alcoholics Anonymous and the program of recovery, I was, yeah, my head was all over the place. I, I think you go, it was very um, up and down. So one day I'd be, you know, I'm, I'm on top of the world. This is amazing. I'm sober and I'm smashing life and, I've just done this and just done that. And then the next day I'd be shouting, you know, yeah, screaming at the walls, like sh- shouting at everyone around me, thinking everyone was out to get me. And I think that is the craziness. Like you convince yourself that you're fine one day and then you convince, and then you're wondering why you're in such a state the next day, even though you haven't had a drink. And, and you know, that if you don't carry on doing your program, it you know, can be maybe not be quite as bad as it was um, at that time, just with the work that you've done in yourself. But certainly, you know, you, you pick up on elements of that in recovery. And um, I think, yeah, I'd be interested to hear your take on it, Charlie, but um, how you, and they talk about it in, in uh, Keys of the Kingdom, um, how, you know, you bring elements of recovery into not just your program but into your life as well after um you you know you go through the steps and um and how that you know allows you to have a sober life mentally as well as well as um with the alcohol uh, sorry as well as um sober from alcohol but so yeah sober mentally as well um after you kind of do stop drinking um and and i think you touched on it earlier on um you know you said you pick up one bit you drop one bit of the program and actually that's the bit of the program which is the (laughs) the most important so how have you found that process of um you know stick keeping up with all the bits of the things that you're meant to do in the in the program for newcomers it might be good just to explain kind of what what some of those are um and and how doing them or not doing them impacts your your life um on a daily basis yeah sure so i got a um a sort of a set of daily suggestions I suppose um from my sponsor and he just said look this is what I've been doing and if you you know if you want what I've got which is peace of mind quite a lot of the time not all the time then you know try doing these things um and so you know for me you know what he told me that meant um reading the just for today card um I don't know if you've talked about that on here before, but it's just kind of sort of eight to 10 paragraphs, just briefly, you know, just for today, I will X, Y, and Z. And it's about, you know, doing something um, good and not get found out or doing something I don't want to do. Uh, try not to control and regulate others, et cetera. Just, just a, a kind of set of things that would set you up for a pretty good day. So just read the just for today card, do a gratitude list, um, which can be just bullet points or a couple of paragraphs of just what's going well, what I'm feeling good about, what I'm what I'm lucky to have, what I'm grateful to have. So um, call another alcoholic, uh, pray, get service. Um, oh, and with the praying in particular, particularly at the beginning, it was just enough, even if I didn't believe in God or anything like that, just to pray to something and say, please, give me a sober day and it's that kind of admission just in the action of doing that that it's not me who's doing the staying sober because I tried that many many times and it didn't work so it's it's kind of embodying that yeah something else has got to keep me sober 
So just for the day card, gratitude list, service, praying, um, and going to meetings. And that wasn't necessary to go to meetings every day, but as far as he was concerned, my sponsor, that's just go to meetings as, as much as you need to, and you'll know how much you need to. Um, so if I'm not forgetting anything, those are the sort of things I try and do on a daily basis. Um, and I, how I try and maintain those things is I have a sort of the barometer for how I'm doing is is a degree to which I'm suffering on a on a daily basis. So if I'm feeling really peaceful, um, then it's it's a pretty good bet that I'm doing most of those things. And when I start feeling a bit resentful and get a bit of self-doubt coming through and impatience, irritability, that's it's that's telling me that I'm there's I'm probably not doing something. Um and virtually always that's true. I just, I'll be, you know, I haven't gone to a meeting for a week or I haven't spoken to any other alcoholics for ages. Or I forgot if I haven't been doing my gratitude lists or you know, so it's the, the way I keep up with that, I don't have to try very hard because it's something inside of me, maybe my alcoholism kind of knocks knocks on the door and makes me suffer. And it, it's that prod that reminds me to, to kind of keep up my my daily things. And it doesn't actually, it doesn't take long when I do them. It's sort of 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening, um, and, then, and then a meeting if I go to it. Um, yeah, that that stuff. You know that that those being the daily practices, and then with the steps as a kind of ongoing thing behind all that, underpinning all that. When I'm doing that, I just feel peaceful, and that is there's there's nothing I want more than that. Particularly when I feel that, I realise that I don't need anything. I don't need to buy anything. I don't need to learn anything new or get better at anything. I had um, the other day I was meeting my brother and I was waiting in Waterloo station and he he texted me saying he's sort of 20 minutes late. This is when I, I, we were already supposed to have met and it, it didn't make me angry in the slightest and I thought that's quite nice. So I got a coffee and I sort of sat there and I by habit went to sort of get my phone like right I've got to read something or got to listen to some music or podcast or and I just I just felt that I had no need for that. Not that any of those things are bad but I just felt completely full, spirit, like spiritually, or I don't even know what the quite the way of putting it, but it, it felt like I was full. I didn't need anything. I didn't need to put anything inside of me because I was enough. I was sort of complete, and it wasn't. It wasn't euphoric or ecstatic. It wasn't like a big high. It was just, just peaceful and normal, and it was. I was think you know with. The, the metaphor of the kingdom, like the kingdom of heaven or, or or whatever, it's for me that's just peace. It's not any particular place or it's it's just it's it's all around me and it's always available if I've if I'm first and foremost connected with with my higher power and also connected with others. And when I feel that connection, I feel peaceful and I feel like like that moment i'm in heaven i'm sitting in waterloo looking at a clock with a coffee and that was heaven because i just felt peaceful 
there's nothing I would have changed. Um, yeah. That's cool. And um, yes, yeah, really, I think, yeah, I think they talk in this paragraph about um, kind of that towing the line sometimes so like if you feel like you're you know not doing enough of your stuff you can tell and then um it, you know pick up on it a, a again until it becomes kind of habitual mm -hmm. um and you find that now kind of you dropping off in certain areas sometimes um or, or i suppose it's probably the same for all of us it's kind of a you just inclination that you feel like you might be dropping off <laughs> almost before you get there at this point and so you can pick it up again quickly um and then i guess the other the other part of this um you know key part of this paragraph is um about you know how kind of opportunities and have opened up in you know this person's life um and how they perceive you know the, their life differently now so just be interested to get your thoughts on you know post kind of recovery and, and becoming sober now you're a few years into a couple of years into into sobriety you know, how do you feel about your your life in comparison to to before in terms of you know opportunities relationships etc mm. yeah so you know i think the what's happening inter internally is always primary so if i'm feeling peaceful and content it doesn't it doesn't really matter what's going on what job i've got you know this that and the other but that being said it is it, also true that when I'm feeling peaceful um, and kind of at ease with the world and I'm not resisting the world, good things seem to happen and coincidences happen, opportunities arise. I have sort of, I don't know, like intuitions or good ideas come to me um, without, without a struggle. I don't have to struggle so much for everything. Um, and so, when I when I came into sobriety, I was living at my mum's. I didn't have a job. Um, I was single, which is fine. That's not a bad thing. Um, and over the last two and a half odd years, I've I've retrained. So I think it's a bit of a cliche, but I've I've gone into recovery and then I've trained to become a counsellor so I'm now just I'll be qualified in uh, in a couple of weeks and it's it's just it's so joyful it's such a nice fulfilling job and it gives me a real sense of purpose and it also it puts my my the suffering I experienced and everything I went through it puts it to use so rather than it just being a really bad thing that is, is over and I'll never get that back. It it gives it so much meaning because it allows me to to help the people I work with. And obviously that's not only true for counsellors, that's true for everyone in AA because every every time I'm helping, you know, like my sponsee, it it I'm learning, I'm being reminded that everything I went through had a had a purpose and it's allowing me to help this guy who otherwise if I'd had a nice cushy life, I wouldn't I'd be of no use to this guy because I wouldn't understand him at all. Um so yeah, that, and I've I've moved out. I'm in. I moved out about three weeks ago, and so far so good. And I've I've got I'm in a wonderful relationship. Me and my girlfriend living together and it's going really well. Um, 
so and yeah it hasn't been a struggle these these things have kind of just come um and so just despite the 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 ultimately the important thing being what's happening on the inside it's the the outside has got an awful lot better as well um you talked about um about your story about waiting for your brother at the at the station and um not feeling as if um you have to you know somehow be doing something and <laughs> mm. I completely understand that because I think one of the big things alcoholics um or certainly I do even now uh you know three and a half years in um is that's is self-esteem mm. and um essentially that feeling of feeling like you're enough mm. right um it's a really big one and i think the tools that we have um particularly i think with certainly for me at least it's like when i'm reaching out to newcomers and i'm having conversations with them and i'm trying to kind of understand where they're at and to perhaps even give them you know tell them about my experience and what works for me and you know that that stuff is that's that's the gold really isn't it like when it mm. and when i have when i do that i feel i feel that peace that you talked about but the trouble is like my self-esteem without working an aa program um i will try and get self-esteem through you talked about this as well through external things so oh, i've got to get you know i've got to earn more money now or i've got to be doing something that means that i'm not just you know a failure essentially or like um you know and also maybe even one step further to that i need other people to know that i'm doing this stuff mm. and i'll post it on facebook or something or on instagram and i need people to know that hey i'm doing really cool shit look at me <laughs> yeah my my <laughs> um low self i had a massively low self-esteem and um yeah that i kind of had two ways of trying to deal with that before recovery and well, three, I suppose, the third one being just get smashed and just don't worry about it, because that was how I could forget about my low self-esteem and you know what people thought of me, et cetera, et cetera. But mm -hmm. I try and, first of all, since I was very young, one way of trying to cope with low self-esteem was sort of prove to the world how good I was. And so for me, that meant just obsessively studying and trying to get the, the, you know, the best grades in the school and you know doing the piano and trying to get go up the grades and sports and running chess languages just everything and i was like if if i can do all this stuff and be the best at it then finally they'll know that i'm good enough and the trouble is it just there it, there was no end and there never ever would be an end so i remember thinking if i get if i just smash my gcc's everyone will know that i'm smart 
and then I'd and I'd get them and think, oh yeah, but A levels are like big ones. So I was like, if I just get really good A level grades, then people will finally know, and I can finally just relax and be myself. Um, because I'll have banked that, and people just and and then it was the same with degree, and then I got my degree result, and I did really well, and it just there was an, the the joy lasted about ten minutes. I actually then threw up because I was on antibiotics. So was, <laughs> <laughs> um, but there was. There was nothing I could do externally that would convince me for more than five minutes that I was good enough. And so that that wasn't working. And then the other approach was, well, if I don't if I don't like myself and think I'm good enough, at least if other people like me and think I'm good enough, um, then that that might somehow make up for it. So I was just a massive people pleaser. Um, and and the, the kind of weird and hard thing about that is that you get a lot of positive reinforcement on that. So it's like, oh, Charlie's so great. He's always helping out. He's, he's really reliable. He's really nice. And, and it's actually not nice because it's really inauthentic. And I wasn't giving anyone a chance to know who I really am because I was, I was only letting them know the kind of fake me that I thought they'd like. And so it might have appeared that I was being really nice to them, but I was actually lying and I was actually manipulating them to get them to like me and, you know, saying the right things. And, and the, real, the real loser in all that was, was me because I was, I was so inauthentic that I kind of lost touch with who I am and what I like and what I think and what I feel because I was so focused on trying to get everyone else to like, accept me and, and reflect back to me that I'm okay. Mm. There's something in um, Keys of the Kingdom here where it talks about, she, she talks about, um, she went to a meeting um, in Cleveland and met more recovered alcoholics. And she said that not only were they at peace with themselves, but they were getting a kick out of life, such as one seldom encounters, except in the very young. They seem to have all of the ingredients for successful living philosophy, faith, a sense of humor, i.e. they could laugh at themselves, um, clear-cut objectives, appreciation, and most especially appreciation, sympathetic understanding for their fellow man. Um, I could definitely talk from my own personal experience. I'd be interested to hear yours, Charlie, about that. Was that something that you could relate to you know when you started going to meetings and you found i certainly found that with my my home with what became and is now also jack's home group um you know three three odd years ago you know finally finding a place where i sort of felt like i fitted in mm -hmm. and um part of something and what was your what was your sort of experience of of that um, yeah, I feel like going into AA and getting to know people um, really sort of burnt away my prejudices and the prejudices that served only to isolate me. You know, I thought I'd, you know, I thought I'm like, I'm this, I'm sort of, I'm middle class, I live in this area, I think this way, my background's Roman Catholic, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, I, 
I went to Catholic boys school so and it was kind of local catchment school so everyone there was very very much the same or you know kind of same background same same beliefs thoughts sense of humor etc etc um and so I had such a strong sense of like other of other people who I don't know and who I don't mix with and going into AA it was just a complete reversal there was people from all walks of life that I never would ordinarily have thought to mix with that I thought and when I was in that period of going to meetings but still drinking what was getting me there was that even though these people weren't the kinds of people I'd usually be mixing with um I felt so much more at home with them than I'd ever felt with anyone um people that thought the same as me that had the same kind of fundamental problem or hole in the soul as me and even though we had different stories we were from different places and even our drinking was different we all had this common thread which was our our humanity and our suffering and our and our desire to just get well and help others get well um, so that was really illuminating it really brought me closer to those people but not only those people it made me realize that when I see someone on the street, I just have no idea what's going on for them. I don't know if they're an alcoholic, a drug addict, or just someone who's really depressed. And it showed me that everyone, it seems, has such a soft, vulnerable underside that when they're, they feel safe and they're in a meeting with people they know, know they can they open up and you can see that. And I see it in, in virtually everyone. And so, like, just... Uh, yesterday I was at a meeting and there's there's a girl she's probably in her 20s as well very confident very kind of funny and and out there and, and you know and she shared and she said she has such low self-esteem and I and I couldn't believe it because it's so not what how things seemed and yet of course she feels that because she's in an AA meeting and it, it just so I see that and I think we well, even in in an AA meeting or out an AA meeting I don't know what's going on for people. Everyone suffers. And so it's got, it kind of burned up those prejudices and those, those things that serve to keep me separate from people. And um, yeah. Do you still find yeah. yourself kind of battling with your own, like, you know, I think relate to pretending to be, you know, someone to a group of people that I thought or think are friends or, you know, colleagues or whatever. Do you still find that yourself kind of battling between like who's the real Charlie and and you know because I, I th think you can you say you can be yourself in a meeting but then when you're around people who aren't alcoholics like how you how do you find that um, and has that improved over time? Yeah, it's improving, but it's definitely not perfect. I, you know, I'd like to feel I'm I'm sort of fully authentic um, at all times, and that. You know maybe one day or i suppose that's the goal that i'll never quite reach but um one one thing that has has really helped that was that so i'd part of it was the people pleasing i wanted everyone to like me and so even though i was so desperate to not drink as soon as someone offered me a drink i just couldn't say no 
because it almost seemed like a, a rejection of them and they might get annoyed at me and then people oh why aren't you drinking that's weird like what you know what's up with that so but when i started putting my sobriety first it it's i started chipping away at that 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 um people pleasing because it, that was the most authentic thing i could do was to say i'm you know no i don't i don't drink or yeah i won't drink today um and so i I had to start being much more real with people. And every, every time I go somewhere and choose to not drink, I'm being real. And even though I might, it's not perfect and I might still find myself being a bit overly ingratiating or, or sucking up to someone, the underneath that is an authenticity, which is, I'm sober and I'm putting that before everything else. So even if I'm nervous, even if I change myself and I'm not, you know, as fully myself as I'd like to be, I'm not going to drink. Um, but yeah, there is, there's some groups of people that I feel a bit more sort of nervous around people I don't know as well, or when I'm larger groups and I, I feel my, um, Kind of who I am gets gets a little bit scared, and so the kind of the barriers come up a little bit again, and I start being just, I guess, playing a role of being like the nice person, and saying nice things, and saying the expected thing and the right political opinions and and blah blah blah. So, yeah, definitely a, a work in progress, but I sort of know who I am now, and I'm working towards that. Whereas before I came in, um. As I said earlier, I had, I had no sense of who I was. It was just, you know, what, what do you want from me? And I'll be that. Horrible thinking back. Yeah. Well, look, uh, I think um, that would be a good note to, to finish on. Um, what we typically do is wrap up our episodes with a little bit of gratitude. Um, what what today do you feel grateful for, Charlie? Um, I feel grateful that I'm here and I'm talking to you guys and hopefully there will be someone listening who even if they've just got one thing and thought, yeah, I get that. I'm grateful that I've I'm in a position where I can I can do that. And and not through sort of any great knowledge or learning on my own part, but just because of my own, well, just through virtue of being an alcoholic, it's found sobriety. I have something to give now. And that is amazing. And that's what I'm grateful for. Nice one. Where are you, Jack? Yeah, that's a great one, Charlie. And um, I think I'm grateful to just, you know, we've, I've been in a few different places when we've done this podcast now and um, just the fact that we can all still, I think we've got, you know, connect online, even though there's a lot of physical meetings um, opened up. I think just the ability for us three to be, you know, all hundred or so miles away from each other um, and, you know, still be able to get the message across as, as Charlie said um, and, you know, connect when there's not necessarily any, close meetings, you know, around here is, is, um, is, is great. So, you know, it's the ability to always be able to jump into the fellowship if, if we need to pick up the phone, as, as, uh, as Charlie said before. 
Um, and so, yeah, I'll leave it there. Nice one. Yeah, I'll just, uh, just say, like, I, I've really enjoyed, I'm grateful for today's episode and getting to know you a bit more, Charlie. I think uh, it was really good to hear you and um, it was really nice to be able to just, like, identify with so much of what you said. And, uh, yeah, that's one of the beauties about this fellowship, isn't it? It's like you, you think you are the only one that thinks and feels the way that you feel, but actually you don't. So that's, that's pretty good. I'm nodding vigorously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah just in case uh yeah easy to forget <laughs> um nice one all right thanks again uh for joining us on the young and sober podcast um uh, that is it for episode 26 uh we'll be actually um releasing episode 27 shortly after this one um so stay tuned for that uh, you can message us via Instagram if you search Young and Sober Podcast um, and just send us a direct message if you have any questions um, or have any suggestions of themes that you might want us to cover on the podcast, please do send them across. This is for you uh, and for us, but also for you. So um, have, uh, have an awesome weekend, everyone. Thanks again, Charlie and Jack, for joining us today and see you soon. Bye. Cheers, bye.